We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and Online AG. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike, and Happy New Year. Lakers brought it in with a win over the San Antonio Spurs. It was not a pretty one, but they moved to four and two, mustered up a nice little effort in the last three minutes or so to collect the win and move on from their back-to-back in San Antonio. And uh, a nice halftime adjustment in that game was San Antonio was playing a lot of ball pressure against our perimeter players and kind of pushing our guys out. And, and if you don't attack that in a certain way, that your guys get pushed out onto the perimeter. Your catches are now 25 feet away from the basket instead of 23 feet. And it just, it, it gunks up your spacing and, and it pushes you away from the ultimate goal of putting pressure on the rim. And in the first half, they turned us very much into a jump shooting team, which we're actually a very good jump shooting team now, all of, all of a sudden. Uh, and, and so we, it was a competitive game, but one of the adjustments in the third quarter one of the ways you beat back pressure is by back cuts, right? You want to, if they're coming up on you, you want to put pressure on them in the opposite direction. And we did that a lot through Marcus soul at the top of the key, right? He hit, hit a couple of cutters on back cuts. Uh, KCP hurt his ankle a little early. Kuz came in and, uh, uh, you know, they connected on, a, I think, one one or two plays. And anyway, Mark was much more involved. And after the game, uh, LeBron spoke to that. Mike was there. So uh, I'll, I'll kick this to you first, Mike, on that. Um, but uh, Harrison, Harrison Fagan tweeted, LeBron says that Lakers are better offensively when they run th- things through Mark Gasol and they need uh, to run offense through him instead of using him as a screener in pick and rolls. So, Mike, do, do you have more context to add to that? And uh, and what do you just think of the concept in general of running more through Mark? Well, the context of the LeBron quote was that he was asked, hey, how do you guys get Marcus all more involved? And you know, it was a it was a reporter um, I, I think has either covered Gasol elsewhere, um, an, an international reporter. And so that was more of the thing. And, and that's you know part of that is just looking at Mark's box score. He took one shot tonight, right, for example. So sure. I think that was where the question was. And LeBron's answer, um, which you summarized before, was that, yes, like 
since Mark is so good and he's so elite that you can run an offense through him at the top of the floor, they should do that more. But it wasn't like, oh, that's what we should do. It's much better than anything else. It's just that mm. the way they usually run their offense is LeBron has the basketball and he makes a lot of really good decisions. You know, other times this year, shooter's going to have the ball. Um, they do a lot of AD post-ups, like that kind of stuff. Just the, you know, it, it wasn't really that much of a concern last year because they could always score when they needed to, which we once again saw down the stretch. So it's, to me, it's more of a club in their bag. Um, it isn't like, it, it doesn't have to be some massive major focus that is that, that if you just clip the quote like that, that's kind of what it sounds like. Thanks for that context, Mike, because I do think that that makes a lot of sense. And I would agree with your interpretation not only of the quote, but of your point that obviously when you have LeBron in AD and how well Schroeder's been playing this season, which is something if you want more on that, you could listen to the second half of our last podcast. You're not going to always run things through Gasol at the top of the key. Getting Gasol more involved, though, I think is an interesting idea because of what the ripple effects mean for Gasol not necessarily for the team as a whole. And last year, the Lakers basically had extremely low usage bigs. And they had different types of bigs, right? Where Dwight and JaVale were barely ever going to touch the ball, right? Unless they ran hard and got deep post position or battled for an offensive rebound, or the Lakers were playing pick and roll game, or those guys were sort of camping in the dunker spot, and then LeBron would pick them out for like a lob or a quick They were dunk. finishers, strictly finishers. And those two guys understood that. They played hard anyway, much to their credit, and the Lakers benefited from their hard play, particularly defensively, even though they were going to be such low usage bigs. They could have five, six, eight, ten possessions consecutively where they did not touch the ball at all, right, within the context of the Lakers offense. And they would still go out and bust their ass defensively. I think Gasol has a similar mindset. I, he's going to play hard regardless. But... The question I have for you, Pete, is do you think getting Gasol more involved offensively and including him more within the team sets would lead to him lifting his game in other areas as well, particularly his engagement defensively? I've been happy with his engagement defensively. Like the things where he hasn't been good defensively have typically been a matter of capability. We were talking a bit before before we started recording about him in drops, right? And guys just going over the top of him. And we saw that uh, with San Antonio's guards. One of the interesting things about seeing the uh, the team play the same opponent back-to-back -back games is I think that we get a clearer picture this season on what team and by a little bit of extension, what type of team a guy matches up well or poorly against, right? So for example, I, I want to get into Trez later because I thought he had a poor game back to back against the same team. And some, you know, on, on if it's a one-off, that's like, oh, you know, a guy can have a bad night. If the same guy has a, a rough game against the same team twice in a row, I think that it's more indicative of just something that, that they have a problem with. Same can be said for if they thrive against that team. I think that that can speak to how good that matchup is. Um, in Mark's case, it's, you know, 
been curious seeing him on that defensive end in those drop coverages and guys are just going over the top of him and he he'll get some strips down low and he'll position himself well but there's he's just his elevator doesn't get too much beyond that basement floor you know he doesn't get beyond the lobby so guys going that's going to happen when he's in those drops i actually from watching him more i'm like he's better on the perimeter in these pick and roll coverages yeah but all of that's a matter of uh capability rather than engagement what I see on the offensive end, I texted you guys about this during the game, about how disorganized to me that second unit, after LeBron first goes to the bench, that unit of Schroeder, Kuz, Wes, Trez, and AD, right? And how it's just kind of disorganized. The starters are kind of the opposite problem, quote unquote, of that, in that I think there's value lost on the floor in that you can totally run a you know five, six minute stretch of the game through Mark and play a certain way. Dennis Schroeder runs offenses, has been running offenses for years. And LeBron and Anthony Davis, you kind of have, you have so many guys who can initiate a set and so many guys who can create an advantage and get organized. And, and, and that's the organization is more a LeBron and Mark thing than anything. And then that second group that I was talking about is, is more disorganized. So I think we, we don't tap into all of Mark's value when he's on the floor simply as a function of like, we've got other, like, of course it's smart to play through LeBron. Of course it's smart to play through Anthony Davis. But at some point in that, Mike, you don't get the full Mark Gasol experience, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. And nor should you at this point of his career or at this point of who's, who else is on the roster. And that's the beauty of what made the team work well last year. And I suppose the difference, as I say that, is that you didn't have another guy to, other than playoff Rondo, to totally run things through. But this this particular group has an abundance of that. Uh, and when your center can do it, right, it's just a complete luxury. So um, that's, yeah, that's my takeaway. I, I don't have any really complicated or deep thoughts on Mark. I think he's been good. Uh, I think he's been, you know, if there was any worry that, he was not as good in the playoffs uh, in the bubble as he was in the regular season last year, like certain other guys. And I think that he's shown that that was more of a, of an abnormality. Um, I think he's going to be just fine uh, this year for the Lakers. So I'm, I'm encouraged with what he's done so far. I agree that they could run more through him uh, and they could put him on the floor in crunch time if need be. But I'm also not alarmed in thinking like, Oh, what are they doing? I, I, I wish they had been doing more of it. It's, it's been fine for me so far. It's interesting, right? The Lakers are four and two. The two games that they lost, I think, were almost all like effort related and focus related. It's such a huge part of this season, guys. Just real quick, the that I knew this season was going to be weird and seeing it kind of develop first is the energy and, and effort and juice that Mike was talking about in the last pod. I think it's more of a factor in these games this season than any season I've ever seen. And it's not even close. So yeah, I agree. I agree on those two losses and that's not going to be the, the last two times that it happens. No, for sure. So where I was going with that is that on some levels, we're looking along the margins for like where the subtle improvements can come or where the tweaks could be. And I think as we get more and more data on this team and more lineup information, more understanding of what groupings work well, what skill sets work well together. And I, I think we're going to find most of these skill sets work work well together. But as you tweak things along the margins, can you get even more output that finding more opportunities for Gasol to be in the center of the frame 
a little bit more might be good for the team in the big picture, particularly in different personnel group groupings. We're six games in. We haven't had an opportunity to see many of those groupings. AD has missed a game already. Caruso has missed two games already. So I think that there is still a little bit of, all right, when when is this team going to have their full squad? And and then and then what is Vogel going to start to tweak? And we may not even see those tweaks until 15 or 20 games into the season where he has a much better understanding. But it's an interesting talking point early on. And I thought that LeBron's comments, even when Mike places them into context, give us a sense of like what's possible and, and where things can be potentially even better than what they've been so far. Yeah. So that aside, there are two takeaways for me, Pete, unless you wanted to jump in on that point uh, before I take us in a different direction. So Pete shaking his head, uh, meaning I can continue. Uh, I'd like to translate sometimes. <laughs> I'm, I'm great on, yeah, I don't have all the radio training that you got, Mike, you know. I... No, no, no that, that worked just as well. That worked just as well. And now now I've actually wasted 10 seconds. See, so that's on me. Uh, look, time, it's very important to be efficient on the podcast. That's why you guys should get up to two times speed, okay? Because then you can listen to us in a half hour instead of an hour or more. Now, you're an animal, Mike. There are two points uh, to, to this game. One, closing lineup. Vogel went back to what he knew, went back to the small lineup, went back to AD at the five. And it was LeBron and AD on both ends executing and getting the ball close to the rim and finishing. That's the number one recipe in the history of basketball for winning games. And the Lakers have two of the best guys that can do it. That's why they won the game. Uh, so that's that's number one. And Vogel gets credit for that because there are new players. But in this case, no KCP, no Caruso. <clears throat> He's like, okay, fine. Give me Schroeder and Matthews in the backcourt and then Kuz on the wing. And, and he had, Harrell had been in the game at the fourth quarter before that point. Um, he pulled him out and that's, you know, that was the thing. I know Pete will get to that later. Then the second takeaway for me was the, the only, I should say the only, the thing that is super different about this game is that you're playing the same team twice in a row in the regular season. And that never used to happen, especially in the same gym. Sometimes you would see sort of a home road back to back, but that element of the flights and the hotels and the crowds was enough of a difference to, um, to, to sort of bear things out. And I think it's, it's really hard to beat a team twice in a row in their building. It's just a human nature element thing. And I was expecting the Spurs to be hanging around and or leading for much of this game as the Lakers kind of fought that human nature element of it. And I thought they did that pretty well. Uh, and they did it in a different way from they did it the previous game. But that was that's something that we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see it again in these next two games in Memphis. But um, that was important. And even LeBron said after the game, he's like, yeah, man, that that's, that doesn't happen. It's more of a playoff feel. And you have to kind of make adjustments uh, more directly than you would in an otherwise typical situation. Very much so. We're in win collection mode right now. And for all of those factors that make this an unusual season and the quick turnaround, Boston lost again today. The Nuggets lost again today. Boston lost? Uh, Boston oh. did lose. Oh, oh. the Celtics lost? it's good to know that when you tweet that it's good to put like some audio to that now every time you tweet stuff like that in the future i'm gonna hear it in that voice so i appreciate you you adding that that bit uh yeah outside of the lakers uh you know the teams that made the conference finals last year are under 500 all of them and that's I, I think, you know, indicative of the turnaround. And so we're in this odd twilight zone of basketball, which we covered a, a pot or two ago. 
making progress, understanding lineups and like they called Vogel called this super interesting timeout in the third quarter. And I said, well, like I said, we'll get to Trez later, but he called a timeout with like 37 seconds left in the third quarter, which almost never happens. Right. Like coaches almost always, no matter how upset they are, they're like, look, the quarter is going to end. And within 37 seconds, we'll talk about whatever we need to talk about at the end of this. So they call timeout. Spectrum does not kick it to commercial, right? Which is odd in and of itself. And they stay there. And they're lined up along the baseline. Pete, one one note on that. The reason is because there's never a time where you're baking in a TV timeout during that time. So that's why they kicked the timeout. Because it's like, wait, what? There's there's no commercial plan. So you just, okay, roll through it. and Because you can't hit a commercial and then go back to a commercial after 30 seconds. Anyway. That's exactly but that kept the camera there. And that whole time out, Vogel was talking straight to Montrez Harrell. It was right after really an awful transition defense play where he he needed to make the effort for that. And we'll get into Trez. And so much of what's great about Trez is his spirit. And so getting to know new players is like, there's a good side and a bad side to every player. There's a good version of them and a bad version of them and getting to learn both the good and the bad of a player is very interesting. So anyway, that was a particularly dispiriting play. Call a timeout. Vogel talks to him and only him. It's like, that's interesting. And anyway, shelving that for later, let's go to break. When we come back, I want to talk about a positive that I've seen. Uh, THT got minutes tonight after being benched the game before. And I have some thoughts on how I think they're approaching his development because we talked so much about him in the preseason. I, I want to check in real quick on that because I think tonight was an, an important night for him. So let's take a break and we'll be back to talk about that. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with our $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Offers valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So now, three games ago, 
the Lakers played the Portland Trailblazers, lost to them at home. Part of that was Gary Trent going off on the Lakers and Portland kind of hurting us from three in general. They got 46 threes up that game. Uh, and when the Lakers are at their best, they're a three-point limiting team, right? We saw that with the Houston Rockets in particular in the second round, some of their lowest three-point attempt totals after the uh, the Capella trade were against the Lakers in that series. Um And so, and part of that was THT and THT for all of his uh, offensive brilliance throughout the preseason exhibited this, these difficulties chasing guys off of screens, his difficulties fighting over the top of screens. So keep that in mind with the context of, I've been curious to see how they were going to use him when he did play, what role was he going to be in? He's played in five out of these six games and he's been mainly an off ball player and his talents are on the ball. And so I was advocating, hey, let's give THT the ball for a stretch during the second quarter, let him cook and all that. Vogel's taking a different approach. And I like this too. It's kind of the uh, eat your vegetables approach is THT has to play off the ball. He has to play good defense. He has to learn how to attack closeouts. He has to understand how to relocate off of dribble penetration. All of these off ball stuffs that when you are off ball things that when you are the best ball handler on your team your entire life, the way that he had been all the way up to joining the NBA. You don't have to really learn how to do all this stuff because you're the guy with the ball. The version of THT that learns how to do this stuff well, combined with what that kid's got on the ball, and he had a couple of sweet moves in this game, that's that's a complete all-around player. And so – Gets benched after a poor defensive performance. Comes back. Darius, I thought he kicked ass on the defensive end in this game. He did a great job fighting over screens. He was disruptive with his length. What did you see from THT in these minutes? Vogel gave him some credit in the postgame as well. Very good at staying attached, right? And his length helps with that. And so it's important that he understands. he so. The thing about THT that is super intriguing to me offensively is how, and we talked about this during the preseason pods where we were really sort of just juiced about everything that we were seeing from him, but the understanding of what tools he has and how to deploy them offensively right and so we talked a lot about how he uses his length and and like those backhanded layups and the way that he uses his shoulders and his chest in order to bump guys off and then get to spots on the floor where he's so good defensively he is still learning how to leverage those same tools he does it sometimes right with that Luke Kennard steal that he had where he like reaches that big paw out and gets that that deflection or the rip of Kawhi Leonard where he was on ball and and he hands high tracked and then swiped down for for the steal right those are all tools based things and they're things that a lot of other players can't do because they don't have massive hands and a seven foot one wingspan right but other times he's not using those those tools correctly he is almost over reliant on them and then losing track of guys right so he is sagging farther than he should and then thinking his length is going to make up for some of that stuff but it's not 
you can't just rely on that stuff. You have to leverage that stuff by doing the fundamental things correctly. And to your point, Pete, I thought he was doing the fundamental things correctly so much better this game. And then that means that when he's more connected and he's closer he can bother a guy's jump shot at the top of the release and maybe get a block right there or he can dissuade a jumper and make a guy like pull it back down and then pivot and then pass out right and so there was a lot more of that this game and a competitiveness that he shows offensively I thought he brought more of that competitiveness defensively this game and it's important for him to stay in that mindset because just like we talked about with Kuzma Kuz understands now if I compete defensively I'm gonna see minutes right and Kuz was the guy that Vogel went back to to close this game and THT is gonna learn too if I compete defensively I'm gonna stay on the floor for longer and get more opportunities offensively because of that yeah so those are all good points the takeaway for me with THT is more to do with Caruso being out, KCP being out, and Vogel can go to that 11th spot on the bench, bring a guy into a high leverage moment, even if it's early in the regular season and the win loss doesn't necessarily matter that much, and you don't really lose a ton. And I, I just don't think to get back to our three through eight or three through 10 pod that we did uh, that you know was one of my favorite pods because I, I think that it's been borne out to be true. Uh, in this case, like they they really can go to all of these different groups and not lose much there. And, and so if you look at the, th- the one thing, though, I also want to give LeBron credit for all this stuff. LeBron was plus 18 tonight. Nobody else on the team had a higher plus minus than Markeith Morris, that, who was plus six. And single game plus minus can be misleading. AD, I thought, was great offensively for much of the night. Uh, you know, he had 34. He had made four threes. Uh, he 11 rebounds. He had a couple of good highlight plays on D, although he said that he wasn't very good on defense because he also made some mistakes and didn't get in the right places at, at the right times, which you guys are nodding. I'm sure that you saw that as well. But like he was just a, he was zero. He was a plus uh, zero. Um, same thing with Gasol. And so that that is interesting to me that even having everybody play OK and like decently solid. Here's LeBron, who was eight for 22 from the field didn't really look like he had his full bounce a couple times when he wasn't finishing inside, you know, missed a couple dunks, like missed a couple, that kind of stuff. And yet when he was on the floor, that was all of the difference that it made. And it just paints over so much stuff as it has for his entire career. So I, I don't want to always get into this point where, Hey, we're talking about THT and then I just bring it back to LeBron, but it, it, it really, he really does have that much value and it's uh, it's just striking uh, to me. So that's what I guess it gets to a kind of a philosophical point for me of what is the value of this early part of the season and something like getting THT to develop on these minor things. Like if you're trying to develop young guys in these types of ways on most teams, it means you're losing the games that you're playing short term. And so the value that LeBron provides is win collection while accomplishing all of these long term goals, too. Well, it's interesting. And so I'm not going to come. I talked about this the last pod and here I am making player comparison again. And I'm not going to compare THT to Kawhi Leonard. Right. But here I am. Right. I'm about to compare THT to Kawhi Leonard, at least from this standpoint of development, Pete. 
when Kawhi Leonard got drafted to the Spurs, he was taken 15th overall. He was not expected to be a future finals MVP twice, right? And defensive player of the year. Probably, probably should have been once, by the way. The, Duncan was still the best overall player on that team, but I digress. Yes, but no, this speaks to the exact point I was going to make, Mike, is he got drafted to a team that had Tim Duncan, who was still very much an elite, elite player, Tony Parker, another all-star, and Manny Ginobili, who could have been an all-star every single year if he wasn't coming off the bench, basically, right? And there was a luxury in being able to bring a guy like Kawhi Leonard along and do all of the stuff that Pete was just talking about, playing off the ball, attacking closeouts, shooting spot-up jumpers, right, as a weak side player, going in, and obviously Kawhi was already a very gifted and talented defensive player, but letting him play to his strengths on both sides of the ball and develop slowly. Yeah, so it's such a good point, and as the thing that stuck out to me that I just, I couldn't wait, I had to like put my finger up to interrupt you, when you're when you have a really good team, you can do that stuff, but not against a loaded defense, as opposed to almost every one of the top 10 guys that people are tuning in to see, especially if they're on a bad team. And trust me, when LaMelo Ball checks into a game for Charlotte, he's got the defense's attention, even if he's not good enough to do so yet. And they're like, wait, who, who are you? What do you want to show us? And Kawhi, like young Kawhi? Totally under the radar. They're not worried about Kawhi. Same thing with THT. Nobody's scared about what THT is doing on the weak side of the floor. You got Bron and AD over on the other side or even Schroeder or even Harrell or whatever. So it's it's just funny how it's this weird mix of like draft luck and team luck and team composition and expectation and all that. And, and this THT, while he may not have the same level of opportunity as if he were on the Pistons this year, He's got such a, a easier path, and maybe easy is a wrong word, Pete, but he's got such a, a better opportunity to do this work without getting the focus of the defense. Yeah, that's the thing is he's got more of an opportunity to be developed as a complete player too. Because if he were on the Knicks, if he were on the lottery team, there was that quote from the anonymous scout saying he could be putting up 20 a game because his talents are on the ball. Right now, he's like a G League level off-ball player. And that's okay because he's got so much on the ball and he's not, they're not giving him the ball to run high ball screens with Trez. They're not, you know, incorporating him in that way to play to his strengths. They're actually playing toward the areas of his game that need development. And that's the thing is that like we talk about guys getting better or putting in work over the summer. There's no substitute for actual in-game experience and actual in-game experience in that role. And the LaMelo balls or the, the kids that we had come through here with D'Angelo and B.I. And, and Lonzo, all those guys when you are being raised in that way and your team is so dependent on you, you can get to the point where, you know, you're putting up 20 a game, but you have holes in your game in like, how do I lock and trail? How do I, you know, tag the roll man while, and then recover back to the weak side guy, all of these elements that impact wins and losses in a way that like there's only so much time to learn and you have to get the reps and experience doing something. And so THC's got all the on-ball stuff. It's this off-ball stuff that can make him a real complete monster in a way that he might have not have that opportunity if he was on a bad team. So I brought up Kawhi, right? But the same idea could apply to someone like Paul George, who was drafted 
like right around the same area of the draft where Kawhi was, or it could apply to a Jimmy Butler who was taken with the last pick in the first round or, or Giannis or all of these other players who are not taken first overall or second overall in that top five, right? Where the idea is that coaches treat you differently when you're draft like there is there is a pedigree like there is an idea of of pedigree and what you're supposed to be when you're taken super high in the draft and you often then force feed those players the ball in order to justify the place where they were drafted right and the interesting thing is, though, is all of those guys that I mentioned who are all all-star level guys. And again, I don't want to compare THT to those guys individually with their games because all those guys' games are so different, right? You're not going to find a different player from Paul George than a Jimmy Butler, right? Paul George is coming off screens and shooting threes, and Jimmy Butler is like a, a hardcore power wing who slashes and works off of the ball. But it speaks to your point, Pete, that you get the opportunity to do smaller things on the court and then build yourself up to being the player who can impact the game in all of these different ways. And I hope THT develops into being like a high caliber, a high starting caliber player, right? Like a guy who you can give the ball to and run offense through. What I do think though, is that the Lakers probably envision him that way in the long picture, in the long view, but in order for him to be the best version of himself, they also know they're going to need for him to fill in some of these other things because it's very rare to be a LeBron James who is basically going to command the ball every single possession of every single game that you're in and be relied upon so heavily. Like those guys are just so rare. And that's why this game was was so important to me is credit to him at his age and level of experience. You go from being bad at something. Just, let's just talk off off ball screen defense or just fighting over screens on ball or off the ball. He was bad at it and had been bad at it up to that point. You get benched and you come back in the very next game that you play and you do a much better job at the thing that you got you benched in the first place. Not every player can do that, Mike. And and the ability to do that at such a young age really speaks to like, he's going to start stacking these improvements on top of each other. And all of a sudden you've got a really good off ball player along with this kid that you can give the ball to that can put a lot of pressure on the rim. Yeah, that's right. And he's, he's also too good. And there's a point where this happens for the G league, which by the way, there isn't this year for the South Bay Lakers. And so to get those moments where we talked about this in the preseason, where he was good enough, where they could get away with developing him without it taking the, the play, you know, without a plus minus uh, disaster or something uh, is if you were that green and that raw. So that's good too. Um, meanwhile, I distracted myself because my, I, see, I got these baby J's for rigs. Shout out to Joey Ramirez. And I just discovered a, Vel- a Velcro function, which is really key <laughs> to get him on the, to get him on the foot. I, I happen to be recording this in a, in the baby room. So um, again, I, I'm sure that was very interesting for our listeners and you're welcome for putting that nugget in there, Darius. No, no problem at all. Fantastic. Appreciate it. Pete. Yes. So yes. let's change up. We talked a lot about THT, but I do want to get to Harold before yeah, we finish the pod. Talk to me some about 
Was there something specific that you saw against the Spurs? Is it something more that has been hinted at over the first six games that came to fruition more against this specific team? Or do you just think, oh, a couple of bad nights and whatever? No, it's I, I think it's real. It's I think there's a pattern, and this goes to the series against Jokic. This goes to his matchup against Zubat. Trez is not that big, right? Like he's he's powerful and he plays hard, but against the big beefy dudes, dudes, your hurdles, your like the the Ebank Eubanks kid that they got, right? Like who, who's not as big as Pertle is, but teams that really focus on protecting the rim and have a lot of size and beef around there can bother him. And, um, but for me, it's the defensive end that, that really stands out. You had great observations before this um, about like, I don't personally think that he's a five defensively in general. Um, If he is, I think that his, well, I, the reason I think he's more of a four is because he's actually good at something. He's always rotating over and taking charges. And the the thing about evaluating defense, it's funny when we talk about offense, we talk about, about a guy's, Oh, he's a good ball handler. He's a good shooter. He's a good, you know, uh, pick and roll guy. We talk about all of these individual components. Then we talk about defense. We say he's good on defense when in reality, defense is also, there's a bunch of components of defense too. And almost everybody is better at certain things than they are with other things. And so Trez is really good at beating guys to a spot. He's a really good help defender, right? And so if you ask him to rotate over, he knows where his responsibility is going to be. He's going to get to that spot. A lot of times he's going to take charges and he's going to be really disruptive in that respect. But I thought you had a great observation on why he is struggling in some of his ball screen coverages. I think he takes bad angles. I think that he's not a great angles player. Um, I've long said that basketball is a sport that's all about angles and that if you understand angles and you understand leverage, you don't have to be a great athlete, man. Like, because if you understand how to take the right angle and you understand how to like dislodge your opponent or get over the top of their top foot, then guess what? You're going to get to a spot that they're not at. And then you're going to be able to do something offensively or defensively in the case of what we're talking about with Trez is you're going to be in the right place more often than not. And also navigate space appropriately in order to play in that in-between zone that I think is so key to being an elite defender in the NBA. And look, man, like against Portland was a great example because Portland just put Trez in ball screen after ball screen and their guards ate, ate him up and they ate him up by stringing him out and then making him play at bad angles so that when he was trying to recover to the role man, he had no clue how to get back to his man effectively while still covering up the guards responsible what the guard wanted to do in terms of the spot that they wanted to get to and it's interesting because Marcus Saul is a great angles defensive player Anthony Davis is a great angles defensive player Dwight Howard was a great angles defensive player JaVale McGee was not was not right mm-hmm. and some of the ways that Trez is getting beat in pick and roll coverage and 
even at the point of attack or when he's recovering in certain ways in drop coverages or when he like has to shock the ball and play up a little bit and then retreat back. Some of it is just angles. And then he's getting beat on drives to the rim or he's not able to chip back and get the big man who's who's diving. And that means that guys are going to get over the top of you more and more. And this is where he's struggling, man. And look, you don't think he's a five defensively. I know he's not a five defensively against the types of fives that he's being asked to guard while Anthony Davis is defending stretch forwards. Right. And I don't know if he's going to be a guy who's going to be able to defend stretch forwards. I think he can be that, but can, would you, would you flip it? Would you flip the responsibilities? Have AD guard fives and Trez on the fourth? I, I mean, I, I would just to get the, just to get some reps and some information on that with Trez because let's face it, man, like in Houston, Trez was a small ball center with the Clippers. He was a small ball center. Almost all the tape you're going to have on him over the course of his career is him being a small ball center. And it didn't matter if the other team was deploying Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid or whoever. If, if the Clippers were playing the 76ers last year and the closing lineup included Joel Embiid. Well, guess what? Montrezl Harrell is going to defend Joel Embiid. Like if he's closing that game, they're not going to play Harrell next to Zubots and then tell Harrell, you're going to go guard whoever is playing power forward for them. Right? Like that wasn't going, going to happen. And so I might switch the responsibilities just to see what he has in him in doing that. Mike, what are you seeing, not necessarily from a technical standpoint of like, oh, this is how he's navigating screens or this is how he's playing in drop coverage, but, but just from the standpoint of Harold's fit in some of these lineups next to eight, like sandwiched between LeBron and AD and how he's fit fitting in defensively first, but maybe even offensively and how he's being deployed and not necessarily against Vogel. I'm not asking for criticism here, but, but just mm-hmm. like sort of what you're seeing and, and what your observations are. Yeah. I think you guys covered it defensively pretty well there. The way that I'm looking at Harold is that it's a much different situation for him than when he checked into the game with the Clippers the last several years where it was, okay, you and Lou Williams just run screen roll for the entire time that you're in together. That's what you do. And that was why he averaged almost 20 points a game. He just got look after look after look on the roll. And that was how he played. And, you know, sure, he would stay into certain lineups with Kawhi and Paul George to close. But there it it was back to kind of just being in the dunker spot and not doing as much and, and, you know, put back stuff like that. And I think they were the Clippers were pretty good on the perimeter with Beverly and with George and with Kawhi that they weren't giving up a ton of direct line drives where Harold would have to come over and help, you know, all that much. And so I, I just think that when he signed with the Lakers, I don't know if he expected some people thought, oh, yeah, well, he'll just run screen roll with Shooter and Shooter will be like what the Williams is. But that's not really how the Lakers run things with their second units that are especially when they're with LeBron. You know, that's not going to happen as much. And if same thing if AD is on the floor, because you're going to want to get AD involved much more than, and it's going to be one of those two, right? It's not, if, if Vogel at some point wants to, hey, we really got to activate Harrell. Let's give him X minutes per half of running the screen roll. Maybe he'll do that at some point. 
But if not, then Trez is going to have to do all of his work essentially on the offensive glass and on the occasional post up against a mismatch and stuff like that. So it's a it's kind of a luxury in the middle of games. But I, I don't think that there's a way to maximize his value late, uh, which is what we've seen and what we saw tonight when he took him out with about five minutes left. But yeah, that that's my main Harold takeaway is that it's not going to be the same thing for him here with this team unless they really think that that's a part that they want to kind of give back to him to get more out of him. Yeah. I think that the same lens that we look at THT through from a player development standpoint can be applied to Trez. And we stop thinking about player development after guys generally get to their second contract or maybe a a little bit after that. But I've seen Anthony Davis get better with the Lakers. Like Anthony Davis is better at certain things on the basketball floor. His double team reads are better. Some of his, uh, some of his footwork on his mid range jumper. Um, These guys continue to work and continue to get better. And the same like could we spam Schroeder Trez pick and rolls over and over again like the, it, it's Lou Will we could totally do that and we would get production out of that but there's also value in developing aspects of Trez's game right and getting him to fit into not just a, a one-pronged attack because that's one of the reasons why that Lou Williams, for example, will struggle in the playoffs is if he drives right, he's going to drive all the way to the basket. If he drives to his left, he's going to shoot a jumper. And when the less diversification in skill sets, both for individual players, but also for the team in general, the easier it is to stop. It's one thing you could score a crap load of points on that in a regular season game in a playoff series, though, that becomes more and more exploitable. So I think focusing on the areas that need to be developed are the reasons why you call a timeout with 37 seconds left in the third quarter, right? So Pete, then can I ask you a question? You asked me earlier, like, would I flip flop those, those responsibilities? Would you start putting Harold in more situations where he's not necessarily playing in his comfort zone or what he's been used to doing? I should say not, not even necessarily comfort zone, because I think he can thrive as like, a weak side, more of a weak side player than a point of attack player. I think that you'll probably slot AD in a more appropriate role as well, being closer to the basket where he could be a much more disruptive defender than what he's been. So you asked me the question, so I'm going to flip it back on you. Like, what what would you do? So this is so dependent upon AD and AD's mentality, right? AD's quote, which uh, Mike was very politic and communicating earlier was he was like I played like shit on defense that's what AD said and uh AD in playing the four defensively puts him in and and the distinction between a four and a five especially with second unit type of groups is are you defending the main screen setter on pick and rolls in general, right? If you're playing the five, you are. If you're playing the four, you're not. And if you're playing the four, you're usually on the other side of the court. You have help responsibilities. AD has such a head start with his physical gifts and mental understanding of the game as well in help situations that he can like, like his five out of 10 version of help defense is everybody else's eight out of 10 version of help defense. And so he in general has been in kind of a, working his way back up right Uh, from an energy from a conditioning standpoint i thought this game from a i was a lot of guys were huffing and puffing in that fourth quarter on both teams um and so putting 
AD in that spot is a more comfortable, like it's an easier work your way back in. If you're defending the primary screen setter at the five spot, you you have to be engaged on a lot more plays. You have to check guys. It's a lot more physical. Um, and, and so if I'm strictly looking at it from a, what would be more effective? Yes, I would flip those responsibilities. And when the games start mattering more, when AD gets into you know, the, the full realized version of, of himself. Yeah. I want to get those reps because it's not just that he's got, like you said, all the tape that we've got is as Trez as, as a small ball center. He's not a drop coverage guy. I don't think Mark's a drop coverage guy anymore either, which is an interesting twist to our defense, but I, I can hear Mike's voice in the back of my head of like, when it matters, it's going to be LeBron and AD in those spots or Keith worked into that too. And we know that works. And that's why like so much of, Trez and THT and even Mark, right? Mark is not player development from a skill development standpoint, the way that THT and Trez are, but from the incorporating them into the greater whole Trez at the five, the one thing about it is I want him to be in those uncomfortable positions or the different positions than the drops. I know what the drop coverages are going to look like with Trez. I want to see him switching. I want to see him trapping. I want to see him showing at the level of the screen. Like, get more information on the type of defender he can be because we've already seen what this kind of guy can be. So if he's going to be our defensive five instead of AD, like di- diversify that. And that, that's where I'm at, Mike. Yeah, well, with with all of these things and all of these different players, it's basically how do you maximize what you do to fit around LeBron and AD to an extent that you can be on the floor when it matters next to them. And a couple of guys have already mastered that, KCP and Caruso. A couple of guys are still working on that uh, or are close to it, and that's what the regular season should be for. And then, you know, the talent is such that you're close enough to win games and you kind of go back to what's working. In this case, it was LeBron and AD's two-man game down the stretch. So that is really kind of the the bottom line with these groupings, and that's the luxury. And if you don't have LeBron or AD for a given game, that's when you sort of need to have guys expand their portfolios more. And that's what's going to keep us interested, I think, throughout the season is to is to keep watching for all of these things. And then maybe by February, Harrell has really figured out how to best stay on the floor in certain situations. And that's I think it's going to get better. It's going to come. I think it'll be easier for a guy like Marcus All, um, who's just seen it all and is is really good at incorporating himself that way. But yeah, that's that's still what it's going to be about. And it's it's why uh Oh, the, here's the, the the last quick thought on AD because you you had mentioned I referred to his quote. I actually just kind of disagreed with him. Like I didn't think he would he played like shit on defense. You know, the Spurs only I think they shot 38 percent in the paint, and they they weren't really getting to. So like he, I got what he was saying, but that was the it was more of a spirit of the thing. Like even when AD doesn't have his best game defensively, you know, he's he's still pretty damn good just by being you know a, a dinosaur or like pterodactyl out there. AD is so good. I just want to like pen a little love letter to AD before we we close out the pod. He's at the point now where every time he shoots a jumper, I think it's going in. He He has reached that level of sort of just elite jump shooting that I did not see coming last year. He doesn't even hit the rim, Darius. It doesn't even if the net was not attached to the rim. It would be one of those. You ever play on those? Yeah, right. It'd be one of those. It goes through so clean. You're like. Did that did that go through or was that an air ball? It, it doesn't even like brush up against the rim. And he was missing those shots as early as the uh, the bubble games that didn't count for the Lakers. 
And then all of a sudden it just click and he hasn't missed a jumper since like the first round. Seems like look, man, wide base, narrow base, jab step. So all this triple threat work that he's doing, he's shooting out of the triple threat from every possible foot placement angle that you could think of and just rising up. We talked a lot last year, Pete, about how AD is a player who can find balance when he shouldn't be able to find balance. And a lot of that stuff is was when he was shooting, when on the move, right? Like all the stuff that you highlighted when he was like, like running into pull-up jumpers, but then still getting his shoulders back in, in order to go straight up and down. All that stuff that he shoots when he's going off of one leg and putting the ball above his head like an orange, right? And then just flicking it. And all of that stuff is balance. It's center of gravity. And him being able to find that stuff on the move is like otherworldly. But he's doing that stuff now. He's finding balance when his feet are like two or three feet beyond, like shoulder width apart. And he is still elevating and finding a center in order to shoot the ball his feet aren't parallel together one's like way in front and way behind and he's just like oh well i'm open right now so i'm just raising up and and shooting and then you get into all the off the dribble shooting that he's doing now which is utterly ridiculous for a player who has basically been a center like his entire like nba career Right. And so, oh, yeah, let me just go cross over behind the back sidestep three pointer. Oh, oh, you're giving me the ball four feet behind the three point line when I'm in a trail position. Let me act like I'm going to bust into a dribble, but I'm not. I'm going to put my shoulder down like I'm going to drive and then I'm just going to raise up and shoot a three pointer. Oh, yeah, I'm coming off of a screen now. Let me stop, settle my feet. Oh, let me jab step. Uh, Let me put the ball between my legs, like the opposite between my legs, right? Like not the left to right, but the right to left when his right foot is already forward. And then bringing that from his left hand into his shooting motion and just elevating. This dude is a freaking ridiculous shooter right now. And it's honestly amazing to me that he is at the point now where every single time the ball leaves his hand on a jump shot, I think it's going in and what an amazing offensive player this guy is. And he was already that a 27, 28, 29 point per game guy, right? He always had had that in him, but so much of that was like on post moves and all this other stuff. And today he shot, he shot like a nine foot jump hook from like the like right outside the restricted area two possessions after he shot like a sidestep three and it all looks just as good as the next thing just just a ridiculous talent this guy is yeah man it speaks to that player development right that skill development that these guys and this team they are not in a in a stasis right they're not in a place where they're static and will not grow. And that's the value of this portion of the season where you can have those little areas of d- development, those failures, and then uh, still be able to collect wins, right? Um, I want to give Dennis Schroeder a little shout out. I thought the last three minutes of that game, he came in, we were down like 101.98, I think it was. He hit a three on one end, had a defensive stop on the other. And just like his spirit, so much of 
these games with just this bizarre nature of them are going to be very much dictated by spirit. And, and he was somebody who really brought it uh, as well. And AD him continuing to grow as a shooter is happening alongside THT learning how to defend them is happening alongside Montrez Harrell learning how to fit into the broader scheme of what we do. So uh, Lakers move to four and two, we meet up with the, uh memphis grizzlies on sunday we'll be recording after that one as well but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time ainge has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tips to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires it's good they win lakers win the game the lakers win the game three seconds left that next to the winner it's on the way A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Missing. again oh he hits another one LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets this historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers the Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.